Hello and welcome to the Open Cloud Infrastructure Podcast. I'm your host, Sasha Siegmann, and today is Thursday, August 10th, 2023, and this is episode 14 with these topics. Kubernetes misconfig exposes Fortune 500's data. The reluctant sysadmin's guide to securing a Linux server. John Mad Dog Hall's take on Rails license changes. And a podcast recommendation. Kubernetes misconfig exposes Fortune 500's data. Professionally, I work in the security space, and because of that, I'm always interested in hearing about security issues, risks, attacks, or anything really going on in that space. So right now, my InfoSec Exchange feed is full of people traveling to Vegas, of course, and a lot of activities directed towards finding and reporting on security issues. One of the most forward companies in the Kubernetes security space is AquaSecurity. They describe themselves as, quote, AquaSecurity stops cloud native attacks across the application lifecycle and backs it up with a $1 million insurance policy. Its mission is to help customers reduce risk. Aqua released a report on August 8th titled Kubernetes Exposed, One YAML Away from Disaster. Now, let's just imagine here for a moment that you are the lead architect for a rather large Kubernetes in initiative in your organization, and you've finally reached the organizational maturity where you have a team that feeds and nurtures your physical infrastructure, you run Kubernetes locally, have developed a cloud-native-first approach, and are operating successfully. What would you do differently if you knew that people are actively trying to find your cluster and probe it for misconfigurations? A prominent search engine for internet-connected devices is Shodan. You can use it to find exposed webcams and, in general, anything people think is a good idea to connect to the internet. Pro tip, don't. In fact, when I entered Kubernetes as the search term, it produced 1.2 million IP addresses with the xKubernetes HTTP header. That's a large corpus of data to investigate. And that's what AquaSecurity did. They tested for two very common misconfigs among a slew of other things. The first one is allowing anonymous API access. In many cases, unauthenticated requests to the cluster are enabled by default. Specifically, we're talking about TCP IP port 6443 being exposed to the internet. That should never be the case and the first thing to change. I've linked a guide for hardening Kubernetes written by the NSA and uh, CISO that enables, that explains this issue in detail and how to mitigate it in the show notes. AquaSecurity found that sometimes admin make mistakes. We're all human, right? So like adding the anonymous role to other roles, thus elevating the privileges to a point where it becomes an issue. Once this door is open, the horse has left the barn. All it takes to take advantage of this security issue is one bad actor uploading a YAML file to take over the infrastructure. The second issue that was found is improper use of kubectl's proxy command. This tool is used to tunnel connections from outside the cluster to it. For example, if you run kubectl proxy with minus minus address equals 0.0.0.0, .0, .0, .0 the proxy will forward authorized and authenticated requests to the API server from any host that has HTTP access to the workstation running the proxy. Additionally, those calls have the same privileges that the user who ran the kubectl proxy command has. 
This is something that could easily happen when people need to work around some network limitations or developers, quote, just need to try something real quick. Here are some real-life examples of what Aqua Security found with respect to these two config mistakes. The first one was an exposed cluster of a small analytics firm who happened to have a Fortune 500 client. An API client to list all the secrets stored in etcd revealed secrets to GitHub, GitLab, Bitbucket, etc., which then provide access tokens allowing an attacker to clone the Git repository, and that's a very big deal. The second example are malicious actors running cryptocurrency mining pods. Can you believe there's a Docker image with 1.2 million pools that mines crypto on exposed Kubernetes clusters? Read more about it in the AquaSecurity blog post I have linked in the show notes. The Reluctant Sysadmin's Guide to Securing a Linux Server Since we're talking about security already, why not cover the basics in case you are someone using a Linux server or workstation somewhere on your network? I'm a huge fan of revisiting basics over and over again just to make sure everyone is getting the same message consistently and frequently. It deepens the freshen and freshens the knowledge of any topic. Some call it wax on, wax, on, wax, wax off, wax on, or sharpening the saw. I recently came across the Reluctant Sysadmin's Guide to Securing a Linux Server, and I think it has some great information, and it's very useful. It starts out with the hard truth, quote, I'm not a sysadmin, and I don't want to be, but I write software for the web, which means I'm never far from a server, and sometimes I'm the only one around. So even if I didn't want the job, I have it, and I need to take the security of these hosts seriously. If you're in a similar situation, this guide is for you. I'll walk you through the steps I use to harden a new virtual machine from a cloud provider." End quote. The document takes you through the steps of securing your server by disabling password login for root, creating a separate user account for your work, to updating the server operating system. And then next up, WireGuard. I've been recently using WireGuard as an alternative to OpenVPN, and I'm impressed. WireGuard is an easy to install VPN server and client, and accessing your server via a VPN is more secure than using the open internet, and it's always recommended. Finally, give some concrete suggestions about configuring a firewall, in this particular example, UFW, as it's an Ubuntu host. All in all, some concrete steps to avoid making obvious mistakes that aren't obvious to people doing this for the first few times. John Maddog Hall's take on Rails license changes. Lots and lots has been written about Red Hat's changes in releasing source code for RHEL, and I talked about it in the last show. As with everything, people are calming down after a frenzy of discussion and disagreements, and the waters are calming a little bit. The distros competing with RHEL have made their business decisions and are moving on with their lives. An assessment by John Maddock Hall is worth noting in this discussion. It's a long read, which I recommend to anyone having the 20 minutes or so it takes to read the full post, but I wanted to quote him writing about, quote, the community, the mysterious society or group of people making up the open source world. Here's what he writes, quote, Most, if not all of the articles I have read said something along the lines of IBM Red Hat seem to be following the GPL, but, but, but the community which community? 
there are plenty of distributions for people who do, do not need the same level of engineering and support that IBM and Red Hat offer. Red Hat and IBM continue to send their changes for GPL code upstream to flow down to all the other distributions. They continue to share ideas with the larger community. However, I now see a lot of people coming out of the woodwork and beating their breasts and seeing how they are going to protect the investment of people who want to use RHEL for free. I've seen developers of various distributions make t-shirts declaring that they are not quote freeloaders. I do not know who may have called any of the developers of CentOS or Rocky Linux, Elma or the other clone of any other distribution a freeloader. I have brought out enough distributions in my time via Linux to know that doing that is not gratis. It takes work. However, I will say that there are many people who use these clones and do not give back to the community in any way, shape or form who I consider to be freeloaders. And that would probably be the people who sign a business agreement with IBM Red Hat and then do not want to live up to that agreement. For those freeloaders, there are so many other distributions of Linux that would be happy to have them use their distributions. A podcast recommendation. There are so many great podcasts out there and I listen to them, a lot of them. So why not call them out when there's great stuff to listen to? This time I want to recommend something related to the industry. Linux Unplugged, an open show powered by community. Linux Unplugged takes the best attributes of open collaboration and turns it into a weekly show about Linux. The current hosts, Chris Fisher, Wes Payne and Brent Gerbey, have hosted well over 500 shows and cover a very broad spectrum of Linux-related news. Definitely worth a listen. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. I appreciate your time and uh, check back in two weeks with another episode of Open Cloud Infrastructure. If you like this show, recommend it to a friend. Follow me on Mastodon as ssiegman at infosec.exchange. That's S-S-I-E-K-M-A-N-N at infosec.exchange. The music in this program is licensed from Audio Jungle. Head over to my YouTube channel where you can check out the installation videos and how I set up my lab. Hop on over to YouTube and find me as at OpenCloud Infrastructure. See you soon.